This morning, we continue our series, Living the Gospel, in which we have been going through the Gospel of John. Last week, we were in John 13, and we, were, or we read about the new command that Jesus has given us, the command to love each other. We talked about how the church isn't a museum of the saints, but a hospital for sinners. We'll get a little bit more of that theme in our text this morning. Today, we're in John 15, verses 1 to 8. We'll see Jesus talking about a vine, its branches, and the work of the gardener. Once again, there are some hard truths for us in the text this morning, but there's also great encouragement and grace. I'm looking forward to working through this passage with you today. Again, our text is John 15. We'll be looking at verses 1 to 8. If you have your Bibles with you, you are welcome to follow along. If you don't have your Bibles, but you prefer the tangible feel of paper between your fingers, there is a Bible in the pew there for you. That said, the words will also be on the screens beside me. Let's read the word of the Lord this morning. John 15, 1 to 8. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given or be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Thus ends the reading. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, for your word is truth. God, I pray that you would speak through your word this morning, that you would perform the miracle that feeds our souls. We just pray this in your name. Amen. Stefano Cutrupi, I probably just butchered his name, but he doesn't know, and he'll never know, so that's okay. He lives near Tuscany, Italy. Each of us have our own passions in life, and Stefano's is to grow giant pumpkins. He started growing these supersized squash back in 2008, and though I didn't personally realize how big a deal this was for some people until as recently as this past week, it turns out there's quite a community that is invested in growing incredibly large pumpkins. During an interview, Stefano said that it takes a lot of dedicated cultivation to grow these pumpkins. There's a lot of time spent comparing himself with, with other growers, making personal sacrifices, and then there are the sacrifices made by those close to him. This past year was a difficult year for growing. In May, the sun had started to burn the leaves of the Atlantic giant plants, and by August, temperatures reached 119.8 degrees Fahrenheit. Climate control is a critical factor from germination through harvest for these big boys. In order to enable these giant fruit to express themselves to their fullest, it's a matter of heating, cooling, shading, misting, and water feeding when needed. Stefano was diligent in his care of his giant pumpkin, and then the time came to bring the huge fruit to the competition for weighing and judgment. 
And this is a particularly stressful procedure. As soon as the fruit has been taken from the vine, it begins to lose weight. So you have to get it to the competition quickly, but it also needs to arrive in one piece. Many a giant pumpkin has been lost, broken, and shattered on the journey to the judge's table. Stefano did not lose his pumpkin this year, and in fact, all of his time, all of his sacrifices paid off for this particular pumpkin set a world record at 2,702 pounds. That is a big pumpkin. It's a lot of pumpkin pies. That's a giant chunk of fruit. In our text this morning, Jesus makes some pretty important statements about fruit. Now, he's not talking about giant pumpkins per se. No, the fruit that our text is concerned with this morning are the natural expressions of a life lived in Christ. The Bible is pretty clear on how Christians are supposed to act, how we're supposed to carry ourselves. We know that we're supposed to live moral lives. We understand that lying and cheating and hurting others isn't a God-honoring means to make our way through life. We know that we are supposed to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. We understand that treating others as people made in the image of God, which they are, shows them the respect and the care that they are due as people who are precious to the Father. We know that God's law has been given to us not so that he can keep us under his thumb or steal our joy, but so that our lives and the lives of those around us may be healthier, stronger, and more fulfilling. The fruit Christians bear, the natural expression of a life lived in Christ, bring healthy or bring health and life, not only to the Christian, but to the community around them. Paul has a fantastic list for us in Galatians 5, verses 22 to 23, which Adriana read for us earlier, that the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit at work in the life of the Christian is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are the intended fruit of a life lived attached to the vine of Christ. And I know that when I look at that list, I'm supposed to feel renewed. I'm, I'm supposed to feel encouraged. I'm supposed to feel excited. And there's, there's a part of me that does, but there's also a part of me that when I look at that list, I can begin to feel some dread. Because I know myself. And I know that I'm not always as loving as I'd like to be, as I'm supposed to be. I don't love my wife, my wife, as well as I should. I don't love my kids as well as I should. I don't love my neighbor as well as I should. And joy? <laughs> it's been a rough season for growing joy the past few years, hasn't it? I mean, I have moments of joyfulness, but I'm not Anna Green Gables. When people think of, of Pastor Dan, they aren't like, yeah, that dude's happy all the time. Tired? Yeah, maybe. But joyful? Not so much. And it feels like I'd be taking enough of a beating if the, lift stopped, if the list stopped there, but it, it doesn't. Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I mean, yeah, there are times when I can honestly say that I am each of those things. But those times are fewer and farther apart than I care to admit. 
And so when I look at this list, when I think about how as a Christian I'm supposed to be bearing fruit that is good fruit, fruit that is beneficial to me and to those around me, I can start to get pretty concerned because I'm not always good at bearing the fruit that I want to bear. I'm not always good at bearing the fruit that I'm supposed to bear, that I'm told to bear. How about you? Do you find yourself bearing good fruit as much as you'd like to? As much as you're supposed to? How are you doing with that? And when we focus on the fruit, our text isn't exactly helpful, is it? Because what happens when we're not bearing fruit? Verse 2 tells us that the gardener comes along and cuts off every branch that bears no fruit. And when we read further, we see that those branches are tossed into the fire. They're burned up, gone. Now, now that's scary. We just admitted that we aren't always as good at growing the fruit that we're supposed to. That some seasons in life are harder than others to grow fruit. But if we don't grow fruit, we, we get cut off. And as we dwell in these realities, it's natural for us to make a logical but dangerous error. We focus on the fruit. We focus on doing our best to make sure that we've got it all together. We focus on making sure that we're, we're bearing something. We're, we're doing something. You know, I've, I've, I've got to make sure that I'm being kind to someone today. Got to make sure I've got that fruit going and growing, not getting chopped off today. Not, not, not me. I know this person is pushing all of my buttons this morning, but I'm just going to be patient. I'll take this stored up frustration out on somebody else later. But for now, I'm going to bear this fruit uh, um, because I'm not... I'm not getting chopped off today. When we are focusing on the fruit, doing our best to make sure that we're living and looking like Christians are supposed to, it begins to sound a lot like earning our place on the vine or maintaining our relationship with God because our focus, our intentionality swings from the vine to the fruit, from Jesus to what we're supposed to be doing. And though in our sinfulness it is natural for us to focus on the fruit, when we do that, We open ourselves up to other pitfalls. When the focus is on the fruit, it becomes pretty tempting to look around and compare our fruit with the perceived fruit of those around us. Well, I'm doing better than Robert over there. Man, that guy hasn't grown fruit in a while. Is he even attached to the vine anymore? Does he even have a relationship with the Lord anymore? Because I don't see it. I don't know if you've fallen into these traps before, but man, when our focus is on the fruit, life becomes a minefield. Like Stefano in his giant pumpkin, we spend time slaving over our works in the sun and providing the proper amount of shade and water so that they might grow as we want them to grow, that they might be the biggest and best, and that all might stand in awe of what we have grown, what we have done. When our focus is on the fruit, how tempting it is to make growing fruit a competition. One of the things that I found particularly interesting about the giant pumpkins is that they are safest when they are attached to the vine. As soon as they are detached from the vine, they begin to lose weight. They begin to decay. They begin to lose their worth. And they are the most fragile the most at risk when they are on display. Our works are fragile. Our works decay. They do not last. 
We have good days and we have bad days, and even our good days, our fruit is nothing without Christ. Our fruit is nothing without the vine. We can't grow good fruit on our own. If we could, we wouldn't need a vine. If we could be good enough for God on our own, then we wouldn't need Jesus. But we do need Jesus. We desperately need Jesus because our fruit, our works, the natural outpouring of our lives decays. It's not good enough to warrant a relationship with God, and God knows this, which is why he sent us Jesus. Jesus, the Son of God, born into our broken world, the perfect one who knew no sin. Where we have good days and bad days in our battle against our brokenness, Jesus never had any bad days. Sin never got one up on him. He never fell short. He never stumbled. He was tempted, but he never once gave in to temptation. And then one night he was betrayed to those who hated him, and they falsely accused him and unjustly charged him. He was sentenced to a death reserved for the worst that society had to offer. And on top of the hill called Calvary, Jesus Christ was nailed to a cross. He did not deserve death. He was not a sinner. And yet there on the cross, the one who was blameless and pure became sin for us. He took upon himself all of our bad days, all the times that we have fallen short, all the moments that we have succumbed to temptation. He took all of it upon himself. He became it for us. And the wrath of God was poured out on him in our place. And there on the cross, Jesus died. But he did not stay dead. Three days later, he rose from the grave, conquering sin and death. And when we believe in him, when we rest in the faith that we have been given, we are reconciled to God. And all our bad days, all our sinful moments are not counted against us, for Jesus has already paid for them. The Bible tells us that through faith in Jesus, the filthy rags of our sin have been taken from us and we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Through faith in Christ, we are reconciled to God. Through faith, we are attached to the vine. And it is our relationship with the vine that is the focus of our text this morning. The fruit that we may be tempted to focus on is just the natural expression of our relationship with the vine. Some of us might grow huge 2,000-pound pumpkins. Some of us might be growing small little berries. The emphasis in our text is not on the size of the fruit, but on the relationship with the vine. Remain in me, we see Jesus say again and again. Trust in me. Put your faith in me. Rest in me. I am the vine. I will supply the sustenance you need. I will bring the growth. When you're having a bad day, when the winds are howling, when it feels like you aren't able to bear the fruit you want to or feel like you should, remain in me. You aren't the one in charge of the fruit you bear. I am, says Jesus. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from Christ, our fruit is worthless. Though it might look grand and glorious in the eyes of man, it has no eternal value. For it is not given life by the perfection of Christ, but by the brokenness of man. And so once more we hear the call of our Savior, Remain in me. The longer and stronger the relationship with the vine, the more fruit that we will bear. Remain in him. And man, even that can be hard sometimes, right? Especially when God, when the gardener, comes around with the pruning shears. 
We have a tree outside our church building, and it was getting a little overgrown. It needed some pruning, and so one of our trustees got out the chainsaw and cut that thing down to size. I remember looking at the tree when he was done and thinking, bro, you probably went a little too far this time. That tree ain't coming back from that. The bushes on either side of this prune tree were bright and green and and blooming that spring while the prune tree just sat there. Almost felt embarrassed for it. Began to wonder if we needed to replace it and, and what that would look like. Being pruned it isn't fun. It's not a pleasant experience. But when we look at our text this morning, we see that every branch is either cut or pruned. Not, like something, not exactly something you want to put on the advertisements, but that's the reality. Now, let's be clear about something, because this could be easily misinterpreted. Not every hardship that comes your way is the work of God's pruning shears. The brokenness of the world is active. Sin in life will come, or storms in life will come. Damage will be done to us. Hardships will be encountered that have nothing to do with God's pruning shears and everything to do with living in a broken, hurting world. That said, to be in Christ, to be plugged into the vine, to be resting in faith, to be resting in the work of Christ on the cross on our behalf is also to recognize that life will not be easy. It's to recognize that there will be times of pruning. There will be times when we've had things like flowers and leaves and fruit-bearing buds that we enjoy, that we've spent time on, and they'll be taken away from us. Not because we're terrible people, not because we've done something wrong and deserve a good cutting, but so that something better and stronger might grow in their place. Pruning is not punishment. Pruning is done for the benefit of the plant. Maybe two branches have grown close together and are rubbing against each other, stunting the growth and the health of the plant. Pruning maintains good air circulation within the plant's framework. Sometimes pruning is cutting away dead, dying, diseased, and damaged wood. Pruning helps the plant maintain its desired shape. Pruning can keep one plant from taking over another or blocking another's access to the sun. Again, pruning is done for the health, for the benefit of the plant, and the pruning that God puts us through is for our health and for our benefit. We may not see the whys as readily as we'd like to, We may never truly understand why God lets certain things happen to us, why certain hardships and pains make their way into our lives. Sometimes pruning can cause us to believe that God is mean or vindictive, that God doesn't care. Sometimes we blame the damage done to us during a storm in life on God's pruning shears. The reality is that sometimes God's pruning shears are there to help us live through and survive the damage that the storms of life have wrought. God does not prune us to punish us. God prunes us to give us health, to give us life, and that we might be more fruitful, as our text tells us this morning. That tree outside our church isn't very embarrassed anymore. And though I had thought our trustee had killed the poor thing, looking at it now, you can see where the cuts were made, where the pruning was done, and you can see all the branches of new growth prepared to show off the leaves, the beauty that has grown 
from the pruning. Isn't spring fantastic? Though there has been a long, cold winter, though there has been pruning, all around us is the evidence of the fruit God is bearing in our lives. Beautiful little buds forming on tree branches. Some sprout early. Some take a little longer to develop, but the flowers, the fruit, they push through in time. All who rest in the vine bear fruit. Some right away, some slowly and over time. And while it is God who gives the growth, let us not hide the fruit that he is bearing in our lives. The fruit is meant to be shared. The beauty of the flower is for all to enjoy. The sweetness of the strawberry, the raspberry, the watermelon, the apple, the orange, the sweetness of fruit is meant to be shared. Church friends, know that you are in my prayers. That the fruit God bears in our lives would be a banquet that we all might enjoy, but that ultimately will bring glory and praise to the Father. Let us remain in the vine. Though the storms of life bend us and twist us and tear at our limbs, let us cling to Jesus. And may the fruit that he causes to grow in our lives be fruit that we willingly share with all. And when the times of pruning come, may we humble ourselves to the work that God is doing in our lives. For we know that God is working in us for our benefit and not for our downfall. This is the God we serve. This is the God who is with us, who never leaves us, and who will never forsake us. What a fantastic, amazing, gracious, merciful, and just God we serve. Amen.